This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio this week uh, are two long-standing guests and friends of the show. Uh, Nicole Perkins, a writer and co-host of the Slate podcast, The Waves. Her first collection of poetry, Lilith But Dark, was published last year. And Bim Adewunmi, a producer on This American Life, whose play Horde was published and staged in London this year. London. Ever heard of it? It's the city that you don't get tired of until you're ready to die. Together, Nicole and Bim co-host the Slate podcast, Thirst Aid Kit. And at the end of today's episode, we're going to play a clip from their first episode with Slate, which just dropped on September 26th. Hi. Hi. (laughs) What an intro. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you both. I have been looking forward to this for so long. I cannot even tell you. How are you? How are your production schedules? How are your plays? How are your publications? <laughs> you know, we are busy, but this is what we have been working for. Right. Yeah. So it right. feels good. Yeah. Tired, but good. Yeah. Good. Well, <laughs> you know who's tired and doesn't feel good? Who? Our first letter writer. Hey, a seamless segue. <laughs> I love it. Seamless, seamless segue. Um, Nicole, would you read that first letter for us, please? Sure. Subject, my boyfriend keeps masturbating in front of me. Dear Prudence, I've lived with my boyfriend of two years for the past year. Recently, I had some problems with my uterus and was hospitalized for severe uncontrolled bleeding. After I got out of the hospital three days ago on bed rest, my boyfriend has started jerking off to porn on his phone right in front of me without warning, without asking how I'm feeling or anything. The first time it happened a few hours after I was discharged. I was mostly in shock and too exhausted to even say anything. It's like because we haven't had sex for a couple of weeks, he thinks it's fine. Now it's happened again the last two nights. I honestly felt uncomfortable and almost violated. Why can't he do this in private? Our communication can suck sometimes, but we're otherwise very open with each other. I don't feel well, and I'm certainly not turned on by this. I can't even think about sex right now with the pain I'm in. Is it normal or okay to ask for a break in our sexual relationship until I am feeling better? I don't feel like just because I'm out of service to him, it means he deserves special treatment because he's so deprived. I understand that we should be comfortable enough around each other, but this made me feel upset. It feels like all he cares about is getting off when I haven't had an orgasm in a month because it's too painful. How do I even bring this up now that I let it go on for longer than one time? Wow. Right. Yeah, I think if there's one thing I wish I could kind of communicate to a lot of people who write in is that it is okay to bring something up even though you haven't brought it up before. Mm. Um, Like you don't suddenly lose the right to be bothered by something or hurt by something just because you couldn't kind of 
coalesce all of your feelings about it or you couldn't put words to what was bothering you before. So the idea that like, oh, man, is he just like allowed to do whatever he wants because I didn't say anything previously? Like, I I hope that they can just let go of that idea. Of course you are allowed to be bothered by this. And you can just say, I, I didn't know how to say it before because I was so shocked and groggy from surgery, but I'm right. saying it now. Right. Right. The key um, term in in this letter for me is um, violated. This person felt almost violated by their boyfriend doing this. And I think that that is what needs to push them to say something about this because that is a violation. They did not have a discussion about it beforehand. This is this was done without their consent. And I think they need to, yes, address it because you're you when you come home from the hospital, particularly after um, invasive surgery, you need to rest. It takes a while to get the drugs out of your system. You don't think the same way. All that all that. So that can be their um, way of getting into the discussion. Hey, I really wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of things were going on, but I want to talk to you about this because I don't feel comfortable with this. Right, right. And another another bit of the, the letter that kind of got me was, you know, the line where they said, I understand that we should be comfortable enough around each other, but this has made me feel upset. And comfort always makes room for upset. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are. If you feel upset, you feel upset. And like Nicole said, like this feeling of I can't broach this now. It's like, no, you you absolutely can. If if you're in pain and that's that's what they've said in the letter. I'm in pain. I was in shock and I was exhausted and so on and so forth. But also like I'm in pain. I, I don't know how to say that any more clearly. Like I can't do the things that you clearly are kind of yearning for. And that's fine. You know, it's not ideal, but it is what it is. Can we talk about what that means for both of us rather than you kind of just assuming that you can just kind of, you know, whip it out and get going. I just, I find that just like, no, you have every, that this is literally the epitome of I have grounds to say something. Right. right. It's not like some sort of frat boy, you know, oh, you're on your period, so can you give me a BJ? You know, that kind of thing. That's ridiculous. Um, this is much more serious than that, and they definitely need to have a discussion about it. And the letter writer needs to say don't do this. Right. And like you said, a good way in is to kind of, you know, use the, you know, the truth of it, which is I was exhausted. I was groggy. I wasn't feeling myself. And that's why I didn't bring it up because that's that's where the letter ends. How do I even bring this up now? And I think that, you know, if you're looking for a sort of in, that's that's it. It's it's accurate. And it's, you know, it's also very useful in this in this situation where it's kind of been like I, I was in shock the first time and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. But now that I can, like you said, I I've coalesced my thoughts and I have some I have some thoughts, you know, where, I, you know, and they're thoughts that I can now say out loud. Bringing it up is difficult, but necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's uh, you don't forfeit your, your rights to bring it up because time has passed. Yeah. And, and also, Uh, You know, the kind of implication is I know we should be comfortable around each other would be that, like, if he had asked, I would have to say yes. Mm. It's also really fine to have the kind of relationship where if your partner, like, asks to jerk off in front of you while you're recovering from surgery, if you're like, I'm not into that, that does nothing for me. No. Um, So if, if part of you feels like the only thing that I should be upset about is that he didn't ask, it's just you can also say, I don't like this. And, mm. and you don't say anything about like, otherwise, he's been very helpful and attentive. Right. Uh, but you do say that you're on bed rest and in a lot of pain. And so, 
yeah, I, I just I want to give you a lot of permission to not only bring this up, but really don't rush to forgive him right. and yeah. don't rush to make an excuse for him. So to say, like, this was wildly, you know, like just insensitive to the fact that I'm recovering. It was also a violation of my consent. And just because we're dating doesn't mean we're not capable of violating consent. So mm-hmm. you need to take that real seriously, boyfriend. Like that's a that is an issue of like respecting consent and and other people's bodily autonomy and like uh, that doesn't go away just because you're dating somebody, especially if it's like I'm introducing a brand new thing we've never done together before. So I, I think you have a right to be very upset. If this were me and I brought this up and my partner responded really badly, I would really question, like, am I safe with this person? Yes, absolutely. Does this person care about me and my well-being? So really let yourself feel this one. Really let yourself object to it. If if you need to, like, be kind to yourself beforehand and just say, like, look, I didn't bring this up earlier because of X, Y, and Z. That's fine. It's also just okay to go straight into, like, mm. what the fuck, man? <laughs> I am recovering from unbelievably painful surgery. I haven't come in a month. And you start jerking off in front of me without even asking if I'm cool with it. Like, what is the matter with you? Right. Um, what indeed? <laughs> yeah. Oof. He should be, like... Not that there's anything wrong with wanting to get off, but like no. he couldn't have he couldn't have made you soup first. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Make the soup and then go do it in the bathroom. It's the it's the phone. Like it, it just it reeks of a certain kind of like a basic lack of respect. Like, yeah. you know, you're over there kind of like holding onto your insides and someone is kind of like, anyway, um, boop, and then just opens up Pornhub. It's like, right. fam, I, <laughs> are we even going to like, come on, I'm watching This Is Us. Like I'm holding a hot water bottle to my stomach and I'm watching schmaltzy <laughs> network tv what i don't need is this yeah also it's just like does her does you know the letter writer's um pain is he getting off on that in some kind of way because mm. they're clearly like in bed in pain i'm sure that they don't look great you know like they're probably pale and i'm sure you like, look wonderful but you look yeah i mean you know, i'm sorry yes right you know it's just like <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you probably look like you just got home from a, a serious medical procedure. I, what is that? Like, why would you think, oh, this is the time. Right. You know. This is the right time to do this. Yeah. Yeah. It reeks of something that is, oof. Yeah. Yeah. That entitlement and that indifference and potentially that, like, enjoying. I think my partner's probably too, like, exhausted and in pain to say anything. So mm. I'm just going to go for it. That's mm-hmm. just, none of those are good things to to have in a partner. And again, especially when you could talk about this with your partner and ask like is there a way that I could incorporate like the way that I masturbate while you're recovering that would feel kind of fun and playful for you or would you want to just keep that really separate like that's a perfectly legitimate question to ask and he could have asked you and like could have potentially gotten something that felt fun and light for the both of you but instead you feel like wait what just happened Mm -hmm. yeah it reeks of selfishness and um it's uh, it's definitely something that you want to broach um, as soon as you feel up to it because, you know, the alternative is what you just sit there and take it. No, you should yeah. definitely, you know, if you feel if, if you know, the, the question being, how do I bring this up is, you know, just like Danny said, you 
you bring it up, you know, whether you want to ease into that or launch straight into it, it's entirely up to you. But it's something that is worth you um, taking the time to kind of question because it yeah. it definitely is something that has put you in a place where you are feeling, oddly enough, in a defensive position when you've done literally nothing except recover from surgery. Right. And I just want to acknowledge you put the the bit about being, quote, out of service and deprived in quotation marks. And what I felt like in that was you're afraid that that's what he's going to say to you. Um, that that's going to be his defense. And and I just want to say, if you tell him you did something that made me feel violated, hurt and uncomfortable, and his response is anything like, oh, so I'm not allowed to get off just because you've had surgery. He is trying to dodge the issue. Um, he's trying to distract you. And you don't have to uh, fall for that. You, you get to say, we are not talking about whether or not you have a, a right to orgasm in private. Mm. We're talking about the way that you chose to do it, mm. uh, which you did not have to do. Um, you made that choice. Um, right. So So if he does try to come at you with that defense um don't give it any quarter because it's it's ridiculous mm. I love, and good I, luck I, I, i'm just yeah i love that you said don't give him any quarter and that feels very kind of you know staunch politician and uh, <laughs> i responded to that so thank you <laughs> absolutely absolutely um well, speaking of responding, I think then that means, Vim, if you would take our next letter, I have never gotten a letter like this before, and I just want to say that I cherish it. <laughs> okay, it's here we so go. Unique. It's so unique. It's, I, I've, never, I've never heard a similar uh, story either, so I'm thrilled to be reading this. Mm -hmm. Subject, Rejected DVD and Blu-ray Reviewer. Dear Prudence, I have been a DVD and Blu-ray reviewer for several years. My emphasis has been on releases of, quote, TV land shows and independent movies. I do so out of a combination of love of the material and an altruistic desire to feature fare that larger outlets do not consider worth their time. This is why I left a corporate site to start my own. My only compensation of any kind is a review copy of the DVD or Blu-ray. Further, I am well known for being a reviewer who actually watches what he writes about and has, quote, detailed and thoughtful posts. I'm not happy about larger studios and celebrities rarely giving me even a, quote, like on Twitter as thanks. The smaller players generally are nicer. I had considered a very low-level publicist a friend, and he often exploited that relationship to get me to cover releases and do interviews that I otherwise would have ignored. He also knew that the lack of social media appreciation was a big issue for me. Despite it being a very hectic period and a web series showrunner cancelling an interview three minutes before we were to speak, I agreed to reschedule it. The publicist knew all this. I wrote a far more complimentary article than the showrunner, who was horrific during our talk, deserved. Despite the showrunner knowing both that social media thanks was important to me and that I was heavily promoting his show, he did not give me the desired like or any other acknowledgement. The same is true regarding my promotion of him in the interim between our speaking and my posting my article. I always, and always is in caps, included his handle in those tweets. The publicist knew that I was very upset, but still refused to either publicize the article through the streaming service or get the showrunner to give my article some love. The showrunner dug his heels in more and got very stubborn on knowing I was upset. He's a relative rookie with a very narrow audience. This soon escalated to the publicist, quote, ghosting me. The president of the parent of the streaming service network calling to yell at me and the streaming service soon blocking me on Twitter. 
Fallout has extended to now refusing to do any interviews, planning to delete the more than 100 posts on releases of the streaming service and its parent, and limiting coverage of the boutique releases to the one or two art house studios that have always been nice to me. I would value your thoughts regarding whether I am reasonable as to being so offended as to what I consider very shabby treatment and a betrayal by someone I considered a friend. Wow. So (laughs) in regards to the question of whether or not I think this person is behaving reasonably, no, I do not think that you are behaving reasonably. I think that you are behaving like the major domo of a small European country on the precipice (laughs) of World War One over some Blu-ray reviews that you do apparently for free, like at at the risk of sounding like I'm putting down my own job. I I, I think I spend a little bit less time thinking about my job uh, that I'm doing right now and I get paid for this. So, right. Yeah, I would like to there's know. There's a lot of room for you to throttle back. Yeah, I would like to know how did we get to the point where the president of the parent of the streaming service got involved? So what what happened right. to get all the way up there mm-hmm. and for that person to be like you're, you know, something's wrong here and yelling at the letter writer. Um, so I feel like we're missing some key information that, here. That was my takeaway. It's very much a case of like, so what's missing? Because it's a sudden and very large leap from, you know, the initial, like, mm-hmm. alleged issue to, like Nicole said, a full-on, anyway, you're blocked, you're cancelled, it's all yeah, over. It's kind yeah. of like, wait, did you also run over his cat? Like, is there something else missing here? I thought the bit about I always included his handle in those tweets. Yes. That to me suggests like you were fucking harassing him on Twitter. And I'm sure that you have some sort of plausible deniability. And it's like, I was always very polite. But if you are adding someone like repeatedly, like, when are you going to like my post for this free review I did that you did not ask for? Um, Or like maybe did, frankly. um, Who knows? Yeah. Like if you were in somebody's mentions long enough that their boss blocked you, you were in their mentions for too long. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, the letter writer says that the friend was a very low level publicist. Mm. So if you're considering this person to be low level, how much clout, how much, you know, control did they have over, you know, you getting a like on Twitter, you being shared on Twitter or whatever. Um, There's just, there's some information that's missing there. So I just, I think that the letter writer, yes, who, you know, whoever they were reviewing um, should have shared, but maybe the article wasn't well written. Maybe the review wasn't as well done as the letter writer thinks. Mm -hmm. There has to be a reason why, you know, the publicist would go to the trouble of asking the letter writer to write this review and then ignore it. Right. I mean, for me, this letter boils down to a couple of things, but chief among them is uh, the thorny issue of social media etiquette, um, which is is a constant bane of my life, where I think people have very grandiose expectations for what is essentially... Um, you know, an add-on to, to modern life. It is not necessary for us. It is a, it's very much a, a an extra, and I think we we give it a lot of a lot of weight where perhaps we could stand to kind of take a step back. Because the letter writer here is, you know, essentially kind of saying, "Here's a thing I do for love, not for money." 
And what they're what they're feeling here, I think, is the burn of not getting that reciprocated. And that is exacerbated by social media. I, I do think things like Twitter, Facebook, whatever, it kind of uh, it has a tendency sometimes to kind of inflate the sense of what you do beyond the thing that you are doing. Um, and it, as such, you can only really feel slighted by anything less than 100% reciprocity. Um, and so there seems to be an imbalance in terms of what is being given and what is expected back. So that already is like, that's already a problem. And then I think, like you said, tagging someone in every single tweet, like, I don't even want that from my mother, let alone somebody <laughs> yeah. who writes, you know, reviews for, for, my, for my streaming service. So... I don't know. It feels very, um, and I, you know, maybe this letter is coming from a place of hurt, but it also it has like these kind of slightly mean side swipes. Mm-hmm. He's a relative rookie with a very narrow audience. Just feels like something bitchy I would have read in a 1930s murder mystery, you know, <laughs> kind of like he's a relative rookie. He couldn't have killed Sir Graham. It's kind of like what? It's it's very it's so. It just feels yeah. a little like, I, and I know that's probably coming from a place of hurt because you do feel slighted by this person. But I, I you know, I would suggest that they also take a step back and examine their own behavior in this like do you think that maybe there's a problem in what you expect uh, and what you give and how can you manage your expectations better so that this isn't a thing that kind of plagues you from here on out um right you know it's it's a difficult thing and it can be kind of humbling but i think it's also a necessary thing for this letter writer to kind of just to get to a place where you are not you know this kind of you know blindsided again this is something that can happen and if you need to alter behavior to make it better then perhaps you need to alter some behavior yeah i think that bit about altering expectations is key because that that bit at the beginning of like i review these dvds out of a combination of love of the material which is great that's wonderful and an altruistic desire to feature fair that larger outlets do not consider their time that is silly um you are not doing these like uh dvd a favor um you know you are not being hired by these companies to publicize these features um you are not offering charity they do not need to be grateful to you um you are choosing to spend your time reviewing dvds that's fine um but if other people respond with indifference you can't act like they showed up at your house and insulted you you showed up at their house and you were like i made you cookies and some of them are like who are you i didn't ask for cookies (laughs) right you can't just be like but i made them attention must be paid like if people don't ask you to do them a favor and they're not grateful when you do them a favor, uh, the fault is not with them. Right. Right. So this whole bit about, like, I'd considered a very low-level publicist a friend, I'm curious, like, did you two ever meet in public? Or is this somebody that you, like, knew was a publicist on Twitter? You occasionally said stuff like, I like movies, and they agreed (laughs) with you, and then you were like, you're my friend, you owe me stuff. Because when I read this letter... I feel like you are a person who kind of has a record in your head of everybody who owes you something. Mm. And when somebody owes you something and you feel like they haven't delivered, you kind of make it your full-time job to get that thing out of them. And that sounds, frankly, exhausting. Yeah. 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 The shabby treatment, the betrayal, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You say he often exploited that relationship to get me to cover releases. What, he threatened to fire you? Um, Did he say, I'll dock your pay? Like, did he just ask you to do stuff and you were uncomfortable saying no? Like, if you wanted to say no to those things, you should have said no. That whole bit about uh, I agreed to write a complimentary article more more so than the showrunner deserved. That was your choice. Um, You did not have to do that. Um, Especially since the compensation is just DVDs and Blu-rays. You're not being paid actual money. So if you just want to collect DVDs and Blu-rays, that's fine. There are many different ways that you can do that without holding people's um, social media hostage, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that thing at the beginning of, or at the end, rather, like of now I limit my coverage of boutique releases to the art house studios that have always been nice to me. And again, that's just the key. You do this because you want to make filmmakers be friendly to you on social media. So you do them favors that they did not ask for and that they may not actually value and may not do anything for them in order to force them to give you attention um, and, and some sort of like friendly response. So you can pretend that you are like a kingmaker. Um, you're not. Um, you're a person who reviews DVDs for free. Again, that's fine. There's always the inherent dignity of work. Having a hobby is fabulous. Um, but pretending that that makes you uh, like a, a film producer is just ridiculous. Um, and of course, it means people are often going to avoid you, especially when you start hassling them for not being grateful enough for your fake favors. Ugh. Oof. All right. So, a what? Yeah. Those are my thoughts. You said you would value them. I realized that they were not kind. I am not saying that you are a terrible and irredeemable person, but I do think that you have this all wrong and you need to stop. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I wish them the best in turning their their attitude around. So it, uh, I think it's my turn to read this next one. And it's my own fault that I couldn't edit this down any shorter because it's very long and um, I wish that it weren't. But here we go. Everyone just... Take a minute, take a breath, get some water, take me, your time. Let me, let me drink some water. The subject water. is... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah, please do. Uh, the subject is, my friend, who may be exploiting me, is now also accusing me of being too fancy for ordinary camping. Dear Prudence, I have a longtime friend in her early 50s who recently acquired a brand new fifth-wheel camper, which is permanently parked at a campground about three hours away from where I live. She and her husband have spent most weekends there this summer, and she regularly posts about how it's her happy place away from everything. I've arranged to keep an eye on her teenage son, taking him to work and back, and staying overnight at their house when they are gone. She recently invited me for a girls' weekend, and I was looking forward to visiting. It seems like a high-end campground with lots of amenities, basketball courts, stocked fishing pond, mini-golf, water park, live music on the weekends. About a month before the trip, she texted me about how I felt about, quote, roughing it. When I asked what she meant by that, she said she wasn't offering a glamping weekend. When I asked what that meant, she responded that glamping meant big screen TVs, laptops, using a microwave, and turn down maid service. I responded, huh, because I thought she knew after 10 years of knowing me that that certainly wasn't my style. She said, never mind, but then brought it up again the next day when I asked her why she kept bringing up glamping and reminded her that she had visited my parents' campground as a guest in the past that had none of the many amenities at her campground and only had a pool and cinder block restrooms, she never responded. At that point, I figured she wasn't interested in having me visit her, and this was her way of uninviting me. About a week ago, she posted a throwback picture on Facebook of her first apartment post-divorce, and I commented that she had accomplished so much since then. A loving husband, wonderful son, two dogs, big house, getaway camper, and how well she had done for herself. She deleted my comment. Fast forward to the time that we're supposed to go away together, and I've heard nothing from her. I didn't feel that it was right for me to reach out to see if I was welcome at her camper anymore, especially given that she thinks I'm some sort of self-absorbed, entitled diva. The entire week before we were supposed to go, and including this past weekend, she's been posting all sorts of quotes on Facebook about how God removes people from your life for a reason, remove yourself from one-sided friendships, etc. And then something along the lines of, yep, I have no other choice. I'm moving along, along with other quotes. You know who your true friends are. You know how you can lose all respect for someone forced to stay at home this past weekend. I have not responded to any of these posts, nor do I intend to. I keep my Facebook drama free and supportive. 
Over the last couple of years, I've been relegated to only being able to hang out when she and her husband aren't doing anything, like he's having a guy's weekend. Or she needs something, like my keeping an eye on her son or taking her to the airport. For the record, she's flaked out on me in the past for trips that we were supposed to take, and I never went to Facebook to post about how I felt unappreciated. Since it's her camper, she still could have gone up there without me. Was I wrong? Should I have formally told her that I didn't feel welcome and so I wasn't coming to close the circle, or should I have just lied and said I couldn't make it? I feel like even if I'd said that, she was still going to take it as a personal affront. I talked with some other friends about the whole situation who said that maybe because I wasn't ecstatic it hurt her ego. There's a part of me that wants to defend myself to her and make her understand how I feel. But there's also a part of me that says I'd only be wasting my time. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, yes, you would be wasting your time. <laughs> yes. Um, I think you need to unfriend this person because they clearly don't want to be your friend anymore. Mm. And you just need to move on if you want to keep your life as drama-free and supportive as your Facebook. Um let go. And, you know, losing a friendship is painful, but you already seem to be feeling like she's just using you, ex exploiting you in, in your words. Um, so it doesn't seem like you are benefiting from the relationship in any way other than just helping out someone who will continue to take advantage of you. So um, I don't think that you are wrong for not explaining yourself more fully because you should not. Ex there's nothing for you to explain. She was being weird about asking you to come up there. Mm -hmm. um, I do agree that she was trying to uninvite you in some kind of way. And now maybe she's making herself look good to herself. I, I, I don't know, um, you know, her motivation behind all of that. But um, you don't need to ask her any questions about it. You don't need to defend yourself. You just unfriend and move on. That's it. And it will be difficult, I think, because here's the thing. The person has been your friend for a very long time. Your opening line is, I have a long time friend. I think you have perhaps grown comfortable being this particular thing to this friend. And maybe this is a, an extraordinary uh, addition. You know, this is a new saga. But essentially, I don't think her behavior is all that surprising to you because, you know, you say so. She has been this. She has been that. She, you know, I felt relegated being able to hang out when, you know, all her other plans fell through. You know, essentially, she's you, you seem like you understand that she has relegated you to the position of backup friend. Um, and perhaps you were comfortable with it before. And maybe something about this situation has rubbed you the wrong way. But it feels like a very uh, late answer to a question you've been asking yourself for a very long time. And that is essentially, what is the value of this person's friendship in your life? Um, it doesn't seem like you are getting very much out of it. It feels like you have grown comfortable taking on a very specific role. Um, but perhaps this is your chance to break out of that and to actively, you know, bring down the guillotine and actually just end cleanly, end this in a way that, you know, doesn't diminish you and doesn't require you to explain feelings that I think your friend is quite well aware of. Like Nicole said, I think I wonder if some of this Facebook, you know, note, uh, you know, quote machine is, is essentially someone who knows that they've messed up. And don't ever want to, you know, feel the 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 heat of their own uh, of their own judgment. So they're kind of like, well, I'm just going to get out ahead of it. It's like you know, a PR person putting out a, a glossy story to cover up that you know the the avalanche of bad news to come. It's like, no, I know, I know, I messed up here. So I'm just going to make myself into a victim, turn myself into some sort of glamping martyr, and then you just, you know roll with it. And that's. That's a lie. You know it's a lie. She knows it's a lie. So perhaps what you could do for yourself at this point 
is very uh, delicately and not a moment too soon extricate yourself from this relationship that I think for the longest time has been very one-sided. And for, you know, for the first time in a while, I think you get the chance to actually state your own terms and get out. Yeah, I um, I, I, I also, you know, am, am right there with you in terms of uh, the like the the posting of constant Facebook comments about like I know who my true friends are is like that would be embarrassing if she were seventeen <laughs> and the fact that she's in her fifties and doing it is is not heartening. Um, I I just for the sake of having a second option, if you decide you would like to talk to her about it, not necessarily because you want to go back to the way things used to be where you like do a lot for her by the way like every weekend in the summer you've been driving her son to work at like i i would maybe reevaluate your relationship to doing favors for friends like that's a lot um to do for somebody just so that they can go camping um and so you know while you're kind of doing all this reflecting i would maybe check in and say like do I do that in a lot of my friendships? Am I worried that if I'm not kind of always on call for somebody that they won't value me? Um, do I want to make time for other things in my life besides just like doing favors for other friends all the time? That might be worth asking yourself that question. So I, I do again, I, I think that the unreasonable stuff is mostly coming from her. And I would understand if you just wanted to say like, I don't think she's likely to respond well to any of this. She's not behaving reasonably. I, I'm just done. That would be a legitimate choice, I think. But um one opportunity that I think you might have had earlier was when you two were texting. It just sounds like you were really crossing your wires there where she was like, are you OK not glamping? And you got kind of offended, like, why would you think I needed glamping? And and it just went back and forth and you two kind of fell into a cycle of each missing one another. I think that would have been a great opportunity to pick up the phone uh, and just say, like, hey, I just want to clarify, totally fine with not glamping. I do not need those things. I am more than happy to stay someplace that's just kind of middle of the road in terms of amenities. Um, Don't worry about that. Um, Because I think that conversation probably would have uh, addressed at least some of what came up later. And then I think your choice to like, well, I'm not going to explain myself any further. I I imagine the reason that she's asking these questions is because she assumes the following things about me. And you don't you don't actually know that that's why that was just your read on the situation. So then you were like, well, I'm just not even going to talk to her about it. Um, and I think that for your own peace of mind and in future friendships, if there's moments of conflict, that that is probably going to be a better option rather than, well, I'm just going to stop talking to you. Um, again, that's not to say that uh, she hasn't also been like, I think, really going out of her way to try to um, – use you as more of like a person who does favors for her than a friend that she values equally and reciprocally. But, you know, I I think if you want to just go to her and say like, hey, I'm really surprised and confused and sad about the way that this devolved. Um, I I don't want to have fights via proxy over Facebook. So I just thought I would talk to you directly. Um, I'm not sure when and where our wires got crossed, but I was really happy to go camping with you. I I didn't feel like I needed a lot of turn down service. Um, I I understand that that weekend has passed, but um, I I just wanted you to know where I was coming from. And I hope that if in the future I've said or done something that hurts you, that you could just let me know. I would want to be able to talk about those things. You don't have to take it to Facebook. I think that's just the kind of conversation that's going to be worth having. Even if you decide ultimately you're not going to be especially close with her, it might just feel good to have one semi-reasonable chat. 
Yeah, that sounds good. I like that you're semi-reasonable. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you want to have, good. like, reasonable expectations. Yeah. 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 You can only go so far. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, yeah, if, if her response to that is just like, oh, thanks, okay, well, we'll try something else some other time, then she might be a friend that you see, you know, a couple of times a year, and when she asks you for more favors, you're like, oh, sorry, I'm actually busy. Um, and she might respond really badly, in which case you're not a whole lot worse off than you are right now, and you can just unfriend her. All right, last one. Uh, I, I shortened it down finally because we just had a real curse of long letters today. <laughs> um, and again, it's just a, another classic case of uh, a, a real simple, no, you do not have to do this horrible thing. So the subject is, am I wrong to not want my drunk, belligerent in-laws as weekend guests for my child's baptism? Nope. Dear Prudence, when we had my first son, my husband's family behaved horribly all weekend leading up to the baptism, including getting drunk and standing us up for the family dinner, getting drunk and passing out at 8 p.m., leaving us in charge of my niece and nephew, and my husband's aunt, the baby's godmother, drunkenly screaming at me that I had the baby for attention and, quote, to save my marriage. Five years and five miscarriages later, we finally have another baby, and I'm exhausted and grateful, and I do not want to repeat. I want to celebrate the baptism quietly with my parents, who have supported us in every possible way through the last five years, and our church friends. I'm stressed already thinking about having his family here again. They already came to meet the baby, drank a lot, asked for money, etc. My husband says I'm being cruel and vindictive. Am I? No. I, I No. I'm so curious if that woman is still your baby's godmother, because I sure hope that she's not. <laughs> Lord. Yeah, I don't. Um, I think this person is correct in not wanting them there. Um, I, I will say that it doesn't seem I don't know how to uninvite them. Um, but I guess what you could do is not have any liquor in the house. If there is liquor in the house, uh, remove it for that weekend so that they would have to buy their own liquor, perhaps. And since they are asking for money, maybe they won't want to spend any of their money. To I do like that. that. That's smart. <laughs> um, I think that you should also fudge the dates of the baptism. Like if you said it's going to happen on uh, on Sunday at what, I don't know when baptisms happen, if they're d normally during Sunday church service. Um, but, you know, give them less time to be there. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know how that could work in your circumstance, but that's what I would suggest. So don't have any liquor in the house. Shorten their time there and however you can. Um, your husband seems to not understand fully why you don't want them there, um, which I think is odd. But, you know, when you're in the in the midst of it, when you've grown up with it, maybe it's not as bad as you as outside for outsiders. I don't I don't know. But, um, yeah, you're not wrong. And I think, um, unfortunately, you will have to do what you can, despite the fact that you are, you know, in this emotional, sensitive place and mm -hmm. you're just trying to be there for your family, for your children and, you know, your husband and everything. I think that you will have to be the one to um, do all the admin work on this, the emotional labor <laughs> for this one. Mm, mm. that's that's my feeling as well like I, i'm i'm irritated that you've already had to take on so much um especially because it's a burden that i think you could share with your husband were he interested in seeing that you were hurt and you know stressed out about this 
Um, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not surprised you feel trapped and and stressed because family is a very difficult minefield to navigate, especially if it's in laws and stuff like that. Where you don't want to be the mean spouse, you don't want to be the outside influence that has taken away our golden child. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of that at play, and I think it's very difficult, especially when you throw in the other stuff about children, and you know, you don't want to cut anyone out. You don't want to feel as though you are, you know severing ties that you know the whole point of family is joining together and all of us growing stronger together etc so I think it's a difficult task but it's not an impossible task I think you can make it very clear um, even clearer than you have done before which is not to say you haven't done a good job already but you know the, the stuff is difficult but I think you can just kind of make this very clear this is coming after five miscarriages in five years like this is not an easy thing for anyone. I think I'm not above personally kind of just detailing, you know, pain and suffering. I do not want to add to this. Please, somebody, for God's sake, have pity on me. Yeah. I think there is something to be said for just kind of naming again and again. I am not being unreasonable. The things that have happened are the unreasonable things. I am doing everything within my power to make this work and you people just are not playing like it's you know it's being given the instructions and someone just like ripping it up in front of you like oh that's cool we're gonna play with a different set of dice and it's like wait what yeah and I think that's that's difficult and you have to at some point just throw the whole board game out and just be like well here are my terms we have to just stop doing this Otherwise, this will have to end. I don't think it's impossible for you to, I don't think it's, or at least I don't think it's it's out of the realms of, you know, normal behavior to say you have to stop this or X. You have to stop doing this, otherwise you will not get X. I think that's very, very fair. And it's something that if you haven't tried already, it's definitely something in your arsenal to pull out. Right. And I think one of the things that's hard is like in her last letter, um, the person had one really difficult family member, but their partner was in their corner. Mm. Um, and, and in this one, it's a whole like side of the family that apparently has like a collective drinking problem and also just like acting badly problem. And your husband, I, I got to say, I think I'm a little angrier uh, than um, or at least I think that it, it's time to take a slightly more drastic approach because the fact that like this woman screamed at you that you had a baby for attention. Mm. Um, she sh like uh, absent a profound and profuse apology and a serious turnaround. She should not be in the same room as you. Like that's not a, uh, we all have to deal with difficult family members. That's a, you don't get to hang out with me anymore. Um, the fact that since that time, you've had five miscarriages that your husband invited them all without telling you and is calling you cruel, like, I'm kind of seeing red here. If it's me, if I'm in this situation, I, I, I'm going to my husband, I'm saying this. Hey, that weekend, I'm going to be going to a hotel. Um, I'm taking the baby with me. I'm very angry with you. This is not good for our marriage. Um, you need to reevaluate what you're doing here. If you're willing to go to, like, couples counseling with me about this, we can talk about it. But we'll go after the baptism weekend. I will not be seeing your family. I'm not putting myself through that. I have too much to deal with right now. And the fact that you would put me in the room with the woman who told me I had a baby for attention and people who get drunk and pass out um, when, again, I have just had a child uh, after dealing with five miscarriages is just like, it, it's not a good sign for our marriage. Um, I'm telling you this in advance because I, I don't want to like try to one up one another. I want to be able to work through this, but it will have to be after your family goes back home. Right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. No. Yeah, and actually, to be clear, I should mention that um, I'm not sure if in this new version, um, 
it it includes the fact that the husband invited them without telling the wife. In the longer version of this letter, mm. the husband, it, we know that the husband did that. So mm. I'm, I'm not just adding that myself. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. But yeah, I would say I would I, I would not. Um, you, you could obviously do the whole like, you know, keep no liquor in the house, try to take a lot of walks thing. I think in this situation, given where you're coming from and given their history, I, I really wouldn't care if they showed up and they were like, she did what? Like, mm. I would have no interest in maintaining any kind of a even polite relationship with these people. Um, I would get out of the house and I would take my baby with me. Yeah, I think if if you go that, mm, I don't want to say extra mile, but if you make an unwelcome environment, maybe that will um, give them second thoughts about feeling so Ooh. free to come. Right. You know, you don't necessarily have to, like, uh, put manure or anything in the house to, or, you know, make it disgusting or anything. But I think if you let them know that you're not going to cater to them, that you're not going to accept um, their abuse or whatever, either by leaving, as Danny su- suggested, or whatever, um, but some kind of way letting them know that you are no longer their caretaker while they're there. Right. That will help them. Yeah. I like the idea of parent trapping it or short of that, just like, yeah, if you're not quite ready to like go to a hotel and like declare like war to just be gone most of that weekend to see them pretty much only for the baptism, but otherwise just be gone. And they'll be like, wow, that's really rude. And you'll be like, yeah, what are you going to do? Right. Mm-hmm. right. That also strikes me as an option for you. Yeah. It's no ruder than telling me I had a baby for attention. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You'd have to work really hard to match that rudeness. Right. So you're doing great. And I'm just really sorry. And I'm so sorry that your husband's calling you cruel. That's truly unhinged on his part. He mm. could not be more wrong. Yeah. And I hope he's amazing in every other respect. <laughs> to make up uh, for and, that particular job. Yeah. 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 Whew. Okay, friends, we did it. We answered some of the longest and most confusing questions I've had in a while. I mean, I was reading through and I was like, there are seven <laughs> Easter egg problems like tucked into this particular one. It's it's always a multi-layered treat reading yeah. any of the Dear Prudence letters. Like, wait, what? I thought the conflict was this. It's that? Jeez. <laughs> I didn't even know that Blu-rays were still a thing. I mean, that that was that was my takeaway from that. I was like, wait, you review who for what now? Next thing you say, you write for a newspaper. Get out of here, sir. Like, you know, very, very odd. He, he was the one that made me kind of throw my head back. Like, you know, I do this for the love of the art, but also for my altruist. It's like, oh, sit down. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. I'm so, so, so glad that we got to do this. Me and um, I can't wait to start listening to Thirst Aid Kid again. Yay. Yay. Thank Thank you. This was so fun. It was. And also keep your keep your diary open. Perhaps we'll reinvite you back on. We've had a clamoring. Yes. For, for more I would goodness. Love it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Marvelous. You two get out of here. Have a lovely rest of the day. You too. Thank you. You Thanks too. so much, Danny. Bye. See you later. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening.
here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. All right, lady. <laughs> I mean, thirty-year-old breast pump. That that was a that was a detail for me where I physically recoiled, and I thought, <laughs> "Come on, mom, like sort this out." I understand the excitement that comes with being, you know, a grandmother. It's it's exciting. A lot of things are falling into place. Things that you know, and this is a woman who has said she is excited. She has, you know, been wanting to be a grandmother. This is she's always dreamed of it. I think when people do that, they dream to the exclusion of everybody else's dreams. And it can be difficult to rein someone in. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod. As promised, here's a clip from Thirst Aid Kit, now a Slate podcast. I love him. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually delivered like his most famous character, so I'm grateful. That pause was perfect. I also... Love him. <laughs> He's great. We are, of course, talking about Dan Levy. Oof. Wow. He of the magnificent eyebrows. The most magnificent. Like, he comes from a dynasty of great eyebrows. Like, <sighs> you may not know this. Dan's father is Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. who plays his father on Schitt's Creek. Yes. But Dan himself is quite something to look at. He is quite a snack. <laughs> <laughs> High protein, low sugar. Really kind of like slow release snacking. He is something else. Like he just keeps adding. Like you look at him and there's the initial pow. Yeah. And then waves of it hit you hours later. And you're like, oh, I'm still on this, you know. So I am. I was late to Shit's Creek. Right. I I just started watching it um, last month or so in in August. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, I'd seen people talking about it, and I'd seen Dan, you know, people sharing stuff. I talked stuff. about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But I just didn't have the time to, like, sit. Because, you know, it's just, there's so much TV and so yes. much stuff out there. Anyway. I agree. So, I was doing some work, and I was like, I'm going to reward myself when I finish this task. I'm going to reward myself and finally get into Shit's Creek. Mm-hmm. I was so distracted mm. by how beautiful mm-hmm. he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, he's funny. Yes. Very funny. Just... Just perfect comedic timing mm-hmm. in a way that you don't often see yeah. anymore. Um, and that may be because of his father, because right. of that, you know, that very like, um, I know his father from SCTV. It's oh, a okay. Canadian um, sketch show uh-huh. similar to Saturday Night Live. Right. I used to watch it with my sister when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what was going on because like, the humor was over my head. Right. You know, they were talking about stuff that I had no idea. So I was very young. I was like seven or something like that. But. Even then, Eugene Mm -hmm. was somebody that I would just watch just like Mm -hmm. as he walked across the screen. So then when I'm looking at Schitt's Creek and I see his son, who looks almost exactly like him, but just (laughs) like polished a little bit, you know, like a... He uses moisturizer. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like Eugene is the uh, rough crystal and dan is the polished crystal yeah he's cut yeah yeah no i fully i fully understand what you're saying i was also late to to schitt's creek i it looked to me to be a very silly show Mm -hmm. um because i never even read about what it was about but every time i saw one of the posters i was like "Eh, is this like a parody or something i don't care for this (laughs) so i wasn't really and even though i love eugene levy i was like "Eh, i'll get to it i Mm -hmm. suppose Mm -hmm. but then 
all these people whose opinion I respect were like, oh my God, Shit's Creek, it's great. Yeah. You don't think it's going to be great? I promise you it's great. And I was like, fine. Mm-hmm. So I started watching it and like you, I was distracted by Dan. And then I found out all these other bits of information that A, he was a showrunner, he right. wrote a good number of these things. And, you know, a part of me also when I first heard about him being showrunner was kind of like, eh, is this because your dad is Eugene Levy right, and yeah, he bought yeah. you a little tea? And it was like, no, no, this guy is actually talented. And like you said, fantastic comedic timing mm-hmm. because I suppose when you are in the <laughs> Levy household, it <laughs> enters you like osmosis. I don't know. He is very, very good in this show. And yeah. the show itself is fantastic and my only regret is that i didn't start it sooner yes because i could have been on this train a long time a ago. a long time ago and schitt's creek is about a family who um the father trusted uh, an accountant lost they lost all their money and um it turns out that the only thing of value that they had is this small town that um the father johnny had bought as a joke because the yes. town's name is Shits Creek. Um <laughs> he bought it for his son, yeah. ironically. Yeah. Um, and that was also based on a real life thing where Kim Basinger bought a town somewhere years what? ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Dan basically was like, what's the weirdest celebrity shit? I, I know, that time Kim Basinger bought a town. And so that wow. was his, yeah. Which again, you see, my guy reads, he understands yes. the world. I'm proud yes. of him, good for him. But like, it's it's a ridiculous premise. So initially, mm-hmm. like you said, it's a fall from grace mm-hmm. for this super rich family who have to move to this small, weird town yes. called Shits Creek. And they get there and it's populated with all these weird characters, right. obviously. Of course. But the family themselves, like, Johnny, who's played by Eugene Levy, is mm-hmm. married to Moira, who's played by <laughs> Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, for those who don't know, is God-level comedy. There is also the daughter, Alexis, mm-hmm. um, who is, again, the best actor working with her hands out there. She is. <sighs> she has the most amazing mannerisms. Her face is like this comedy goldmine. I love the actor. And then Dan, who is playing uh, David Rose. Yes. And the four of them end up living in two motel rooms mm-hmm. in like this shitty little, sh- it's a mm. shitty motel in, sh- in Shits Creek. <laughs> and essentially it's them, I suppose, learning how to be human. Yeah. And learning um, how to be a family because they, they're coming from New York um, and they didn't, re- they were very, they're very New York, right? Yes. Or this idea of what New York wealth is mm. where... You know, they barely know each other beyond the things to insult each other with. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it's just really nice to see the actual growth of the family, of the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because sometimes in these kinds of sitcoms, it's easy to keep them stuck in the same characterizations because, you you know, oh, it's funny. The audience likes it. Let's just keep them the same. But they stay the same as they evolve and become better people. Which brings us neatly to Dan, who plays (sighs) David. Oh my gosh. Who is essentially his character. He embodies this absolutely... He is is very much a man-child. Yes. Who, for the first time, is having to name his neuroses. He's having to name himself basically mm-hmm. he's rebirthing himself mm-hmm. having been placed in a situation that was out of his comfort zone in every single way mm-hmm. and the thing i love about david as as dan plays him is like he comes in he is not unaware of the ridiculousness of himself yes. and his family yes he knows that he is a wealthy privileged or was anyway a wealthy privileged for want of a better word dickhead like this you know, he used to run a gallery space with, you know, performance <laughs> artists and some of the art that he 
describes you like what and so it's like he he's very aware of his pretentiousness he knows that he does wear obscure japanese drop crotch designers <laughs> he knows that his clothes are you know beautiful yes silly a little bit he is very very self-aware mm-hmm. and in the middle of all of that he is also understanding that mm, maybe there are better ways to be 